morning. And so you'll be hearing from him next week. Amen. 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 All right. Let me turn this thing on. And we're going to get into the word of God today. Um, It was February of 1979. I'm about to tell you how old I am. I was in my junior year of high school playing basketball, and we had an incredible team. I think it was the best team that our little school ever had. And we we were just burning through the regular season. We won our league championship. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I, I got an injury. If I got any injury that year, it would have been on my behind from sitting on the bench so much. But we had a great team. We had an an incredible team. And uh, so we won our league championship and we got into the the sectional playoffs and we won our first game in the sectional playoffs. And I was so excited because we were going to go to the sectional finals to become the champions of our section of the state. And that was in the big city. You know, I'm from New York. So the big city for me was Syracuse, but that was the big city. And I was so excited because we played in our little high school gym. Every game we played, like it was so crowded with people and the excitement and all of that was, was there, especially as the season built on. But now we were going to uh, Syracuse University to play. They didn't have the Carrier Dome yet. It was Manly Fieldhouse, but like a 10,000 seat stadium. I was so excited. We're going to go there to play for and win our sectional championship. It was a close game. I was very anxious uh, sitting on the bench watching it. Um, but, but it was close throughout the game. I might have got in a couple times, but um, at the end of the game, we pulled away and we won. Wow. All that anxiety, all those nerves, all that we'd worked for all year long. I was just off the charts happy. And then we're now going into the next round of the state playoffs. And we're one game away from the final four. And in the final four, you travel. You're in the, hey, it's the final four, even if it's uh, uh, basketball in high school in New York. But I wanted to go to the final four. We were so excited about it. And we played that game, and at the end of that game, uh, we, we just got, we got beat. We got beat. We lost that game. What am I talking about all of this for? Um, I was devastated after that loss. I remember just being almost inconsolable, in tears, uh, after losing that game. The scripture says this in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I went through all those emotions of that verse within a few weeks. That the the ability to go and win our sectional finals in the big stadium, uh, I, it, it was a hope that was fulfilled. It was a wonder. It was a joy. But then just a couple weeks later, the the agony of defeat and failure and and just feeling that my heart was sick from it. Um, All of that going in those few weeks. But, But now as I look at the world that we live in, there's a lot of things that are much bigger that concern my mind and my heart 
than was concerning that 17-year-old boy in high school. I look at our world and I struggle as I look at the death, as I look at the division, as I look at the wars, both overseas and wars, it seems like, right in our city and right in our country. Uh, it is overwhelming at times. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't know if anyone has ever been there where I'm at sometimes. It seems like you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed some more and, and the situation doesn't change. Not just the, the big things, the global things, the, the country or the city, but even uh, in personal matters, even in families, even with people that were praying for and you prayed for weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and sometimes it's decades and God, where are you? What are you doing? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, today, I hope that you have a longing for something more than what you see in this world. Does anyone have that longing? A longing for a, a word that the Bible calls shalom. We often just call that word, we, we translate it as peace, but it's so much more than peace. Peace is like the absence of any conflict, but the shalom of God is God has set everything in right order. It fits together and the glory of God is manifested. That's the desire of the hearts of human beings. And in a particular way, the people of God, the family, Chris, the family of God. We have that deep desire for that shalom. If you'll stand with me today, we're going to be looking at the section in Mark that walks us through the Lord's Supper. And my title today is The Glorious Hope of the New Covenant. The Glorious Hope of the New Covenant. We're going to read from, well, actually, we're going to go through verses 12 through 26, but we're just going to read a few of the verses together, starting at verse 22. So read along with me. This is the word of the Lord. While they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father God, as we come before your word today on this, which is communion Sunday for us at New Life, I pray that you would not decrease our longing for shalom, but increase it. And Lord, I pray 
that as we break open your word today and look at it, as in a little while we take of the bread and the cup, we would realize that all that longing, all that hope is in one place. It's in Jesus. Lord, be with us in these coming moments and glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. The glorious hope of the new covenant. Here's the main point of the message today. Jesus, through his sacrificial death, is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Amen? Somebody say, all God's promises. Tell somebody near you, Jesus fulfills all God's promises. Amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises and the hope of every true believer. Amen. Amen. Jesus is it. We often look for it in all kinds of places. There was an old country song that said, looking for love in all the wrong places. But we're looking for joy and fulfillment and shalom in all the wrong places. But it's there. It's there. It's there. It's in Jesus Christ. Through his sacrificial death, all of God's promises are fulfilled. The, the scripture that we're looking at today is a critical Passage that transitions us from the old covenant, covenant under Moses, to the new covenant, inaugurated through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It, it, it is in this section of scripture we move from Passover, celebrated with a year old lamb and bitter herbs. Uh, and, and a cup to a, a new type of meal, not the Passover meal, but now the Lord's Supper. We move from one covenant to another. And so we're going to just walk through these verses uh, this morning and look at uh, one thing at a time. So first of all, the setting for this covenant, the setting for this meal. We didn't read this yet, but, but here it is. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make pre- uh, preparations to eat the Passover? So this is Passover time. I've talked about this uh, in, in a couple of weeks ago, that Jerusalem would have had five to ten times as many people in the town that it normally had. I I use the analogy, it would be like everyone in New York City decided to come to Philadelphia one day, and oh, by the way, every family is bringing a goat. It would be a wild and crazy scene, and so the disciples asked Jesus, where are we going to eat the Passover Uh, And so this is on the day that they are preparing. It says customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. 
That happened on the Jewish calendar. It was called the 14th of Nisan. It was the day that was commemorated by the Israelites when they came out of or or before they went into the Red Sea when the Passover came and the people of God had to sacrifice a lamb as it was the final plague before they got out of Egypt. After nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart is hardened time after time. And sometimes he says, I'm going to let you go. Then he changes his mind. He says, psych, not going to let you go. Over and over again, they're going through this. But finally, this final plague is about to come on Egypt. The firstborn in every household will die. An unimaginable plague. But God says to his people, here's what you need to do. I want you to take a lamb, a year old lamb, without any defect. And what you need to do is you need to sacrifice this lamb and pour out its blood. And then you need to take some of its blood and put it on the doorpost. And when the angel comes through, that's going to take the life of every firstborn in every household. It will see the blood on the doorpost and pass over your home. And so this was perpetually remembered year after year by the people of God. It was to be remembered always on the same date at the same time in the year to remember this. And so the the, the disciples are aware of it. And they say, Jesus, where are we going to do this? Verse 13. So he sent two of his disciples. We find out in another gospel that those two disciples in Luke, we find out that that is Peter and John. Telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now, what did I just say about this city? This city is absolutely overwhelmed with people, right? And so Jesus said, go into the city, you'll see a man carrying a jar. Really, Jesus? There's like hundreds of thousands of people But you're telling us we'll see a man carrying a jar. Well, the Lord is at work. Amen. Amen. But one of the things is that the custom is that only women carry jars of water. If you've been to many places in the world and we've been to Africa a number of times, you see that. You see women carrying uh, jars on their head. Women tend to do a lot of the hard work around the world. Amen. But, but the men don't carry those jars. And so he says, you're going to see a man. This is one of those weird episodes where Jesus is telling them what to do. And it must sound really strange, right? We saw that in Mark 11, where Jesus says, I want you to go into the city. You'll see a donkey and I want you to untie the donkey. Someone's going to ask you, what are you doing with the donkey? Say the master has need of it and they'll let it go. I'm like, I'm like do I really want to do that? What if I get the wrong donkey? But they got the right donkey. Jesus had gone in advance and set this thing up. And so the man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him. Verse 14, say to the owner of the house who uh, he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room? Where, Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So they get these things in order. And to get the Passover meal together, it says in verse 16, they prepared the Passover. They had to get that lamb without defect and get it ready. 
for the Passover meal. So this is the preparation or the setting for the covenant. Secondly, the conflict of the covenant. Now we get into a very difficult thing that we see here in verses 17 through 21. The scripture says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who's eating with me. Verse 19, they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. We find out again, this is in uh, other gospels as well, and we find out that even Judas asked that question. Surely not I. Surely you don't mean me. Verse 20 Jesus says, it's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. In Eastern cultures, there's no sign of more intimate fellowship, brotherhood, oneness, and care for one another than eating a meal together. The ultimate betrayal would be to betray one that you had just eaten a meal with. Eating, and this is true even today in the Middle East, eating that meal together signifies peace between you. It signifies trust, forgiveness, and brotherhood. And so Jesus says, one of you who dips in the cup with me. One of you is about to betray me. Look at what, at how the disciples react to that. It says they're saddened. But then it says they said one by one, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely not me. Notice here that there is a preoccupation with clearing their names. It's not me, right? Tell me it's not me. Jesus doesn't give up any tape on this. He doesn't tell who it's going to be, right? Tell me it's not me. You, what you don't see is a concern for Jesus here. What you don't see is any attempt to figure out who it might be and dissuade them. It's just like, get me off the hook. It's not me, right? And they're all being honest about that except Judas, right? It is Judas. He's about to do this heinous act. But I, I, as you look at these verses, you just see this lack of care for Jesus. You've walked with him for all these years. Someone's about to betray you, and all you care about is saving my own skin. Mm, Lord, help us. Jesus says, it's one of the twelve, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Verse 21, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. He says, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. He says these words, it, it would be better for him if he had not been born. Mm. The, the, these are hard words here. This is a difficult part of this passage. He says, woe. To the one who betrays the Son of Man. That word for woe there means a state of intense hardship, distress, disaster, or horror. 
It's used in the book of Revelation, talking about uh, some of the end time destruction there in Revelation 9, 12. It speaks of a first disaster and then says there'll be two more disasters to come. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul uses that about himself when he says, how disastrous would it be? How horrible would it be? How terrible would it be for me if I do not preach the gospel? He said it would be a disaster. It's used in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. In Luke chapter 6, they have Luke's uh, version of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, the first, which starts in Luke by saying, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But the, the other side of that in Luke is verse 24. He says, uh, woe to those, or how disastrous uh, it would be for the rich, for you have already received your comfort. So he is making this contrast, the kind of contrast that Luke often makes. So they're saying, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus says, one who dips in the bowl with me. Well, that's all 12. He's just letting them know it's all 12. And he says it would be better for him if he had not been born. We find out what happens to uh, Judas in the Gospels and in Acts chapter 1, where it says he takes those 30 pieces of silver that he got for betraying Jesus. He buys a field and the scripture says that he falls headlong in the field and it says this is a little graphic his intestines come out it's a terrible terrible death that he endures behind this betrayal well i don't know if this is the normal uh lord's supper message but i'm just going through the scriptures here y'all this is a sober warning it's a sober warning then and i think it's a sober warning to the church even now, particularly to those who have been intimate and close with Jesus. It's a sober warning. Whenever Jesus says, truly I say to you, you better underline that and pay real attention to what he's about to say. Those who've been in fellowship with him, those who have known the blessings of his grace, those who have known close fellowship with him, those who have received with joy the gospel of Christ and yet choose not to follow him and yet choose not to obey him, choose not ultimately to live for Christ but to live for self instead. What a warning we have here. In Luke chapter 12, Luke writes these words, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. In other words, he's saying, if you got more, if you know more, if you've been closer to more, the punishment's going to be worse. That's what he's saying. Look at the last part of this verse. He says, 
from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I just I want to say to those of you in in, in this room, and this isn't bad news at all. Actually, this is part of the good news because the good news warns us from things that would hurt us, would destroy us. And this is a, a word of warning here from Luke. And he says, if you've received much, brothers and sisters, let me say to you and those of you who are watching, you have received much from the hand of the Lord. You have received much. Every family, everybody in here that I can see, I know y'all got Bibles. Amen. You got the word of God. You probably got multiple Bibles and crazy Bible apps on your phone. You have had communion with the saints. You have been a part of the family of God. uh, Most everyone that I see here. And so you have known that intimacy, that fellowship, that love, and that grace that comes from the extended hand of Jesus Christ. You've known that love. He says, don't blow this thing. (laughs) Don't, Don't blow this thing. Don't turn another way. Don't turn another way. A word of warning. So I have two questions here. First of all, this is a a question of speculation. I understand that. For Judas, why would Judas do this? Why in the world? Judas has seen Jesus for three years perform miracle after miracle. He's seen him raise the dead, heal the sick, Feed the crowds. He's seen all of these things. Why in the world at this point does Judas do this? Speculation, but I wonder, is he disappointed in Jesus? Three years, Jesus. You could do all these things, and yet Rome still has its its foot on the neck of us Jews. Three years. You come into town, they, they hail you as a king, but you're just chilling out in Bethany. Yeah, you turned over a few tables, uh, but, but you're still just this, this marginal prophet who does a lot of miracles, but nothing has changed. Why don't you do something? I wonder if he's disappointed with Jesus. And now he's at a point, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do what he promised, so I might as well get mine. I might as well get mine. Here's a question. Has anyone ever felt that way? Frustrated with God. I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. God, you're not doing it. Why do you wait so long? I don't understand it. Frustrated with God. I've been there. Have you been there? Frustrated with God. Lord, help us in that frustration to come to him and find what we can only find in him. Here's the second question. This is a question of introspection. What is your 30 pieces of silver? What is that that thing for uh, Judas 
was the carrier of the money bag for the disciples. And the Bible tells us he used to go in it every now and again for his own self. Judas had some kind of love for money. He had some kind of love for the things of this world. For, for Judas, that 30 pieces of silver maybe looked like, okay, I, I'll do it for that. I wonder for each one of us, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, but yet broken. Amen. We're all broken and there's things that allure us. There's things that call to us. There's things that we desire. What is your 30 pieces of silver? What is mine? God, help us to know what those things are. Help us to be real about the things that tempt us strongly to walk away from God, to name those things than to name the power of our God who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before his throne to the glory of God. Bring that to him. Bring that to him. And so now the final part here is the good news of this new covenant. The good news of the new covenant. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. Verse 23, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Wow. This is the institution of a new meal. He transforms the Passover and now he himself becomes the Paschal lamb. He becomes the Passover lamb. He is the one. He transforms everything about this meal. Can you imagine 12 Jewish men sitting around uh, this table and Jesus gives them the cup and said, this is my blood. I can't imagine that would go over very well with Jews. They had all the kosher laws, all the laws about staying away from blood. Life is in the blood, the scripture says. But Jesus says, yes, life is in the blood. You need to drink this. This is my blood. The blood, he says, of the covenant See, Jesus is making it very clear that this is the new covenant. The the covenant under Moses uh, through Passover was ratified later on in Exodus 24. After Moses had received the law and read the law to the people. And when the people heard the law of God from Moses, this was their response. They said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. How'd that work out? Didn't work out too well. They did not do everything the Lord said. They blew it time and time and time again. But then the Bible talks about this this sacrifice that was made. And in verse 8, it says, Moses took the blood. They, They killed lambs and goats at that time. And he sprinkled it on the people. 
This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So there was the pouring out of a portion of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood on the people. And now Jesus is saying, this cup is the cup of my blood. Take it and drink it. Not just going to sprinkle it on you. You take it right in. You take it all the way in. Take that blood. And he uses this language of covenant. We see the covenant under Abraham when God, Yahweh, makes a covenant with Abraham. And the the Hebrew word there is berit for covenant. And whenever you see in the Old Testament to make a covenant, it is karat berit, to cut a covenant. A covenant is something that is, is powerful. A covenant is something that requires sacrifice. A covenant is something that is sealed with blood and life. And so to make a covenant is to cut one. And so Jesus, as he institutes the new covenant, he does it in his own blood. This is my blood. Notice that there is one cup that they share from in this Lord's Supper. We're not going to do that today. You got your little plastic John. So we don't just have one cup that we use. But but here there was one cup. Now that wasn't normal. For a Passover meal, each person would have a cup. But Jesus here uses one cup. One cup. This is the cup. This is is the blood of the covenant. I want each one of you to drink from this cup. Mm. This is the oneness of the body of Christ. Jesus didn't die for a scattered people. He died for one body of Christ. One people, rich, poor. One people, Asian, African, South America, Latin America, Europe, United States, North America, anywhere in the world. One people from the third century, from the eighth century, from the 21st century, from any century, any time, rich and poor, young and old, whatever color your skin is, whatever your background is, Jesus says, take from this one cup. This is the cup of my blood. Brothers and sisters, I didn't plan to say this, but that has massive implications toward how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. You may disagree with them as far as the east is from the west, but if that's your brother or sister in Christ, we both exist. We both are forgiven by one blood and one covenant. We owe it to one another to love. Amen. This is the institution of new covenant. Look at the words that Jeremiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier. Jeremiah said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Look at these next verses. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time. And by extension, each and every one here who will call on the name of the Lord. Declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. Not just on a tablet somewhere. It's not just in a book somewhere. But I will put my law on their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God. Have we broken the covenant? If you're a Christian, if you're walking with the Lord, if your spirit filled, you've sinned. And let's be honest, more than a little bit. But you can't break this covenant. You can't break it because it's sealed in the powerful blood of the eternal son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rose on the third day with all power in his hands. It's an unbreakable covenant because it's sealed in his blood. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I look at this world and I'm sick. I look at this world and I'm tired. I look at this world and I want to give up sometimes. But a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Today we're going to take from this bread. We're going to drink from this cup. And we're going to remember that this covenant is unbreakable and it's sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That longing that you have, it will be fulfilled by the grace and the power of God. There's a song that was written years ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Some of you know this. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Does anyone know that song? The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That was written in 1918 by a woman named Helen Howarth Lemo. It was written during World War I. She was in England, and people were dying all around because of what was called the Great War. But not only that, in 1918 was the height of the influenza epidemic. Actually, not epidemic, pandemic that hit the whole world at that time. The estimate is that 50 million people died from that flu pandemic. Think of what we've gone through these last two plus years with COVID. With a population of about 8 billion people in the world, we've had 6 million plus people die from COVID. And it's, it's just wrecked everything about our world. It has disrupted everything that we can see. But think about what happened when the population of the world was about a billion and a half people. And if we extrapolated that 50 million to our current population, we'd be talking about 
266 million people dying in the pandemic. That's 44 times more deadly than our COVID pandemic. Middle of a world war. She's in England where things are happening. Bombs are dropping. People are dying and people are dying from a pandemic and not just mainly older people, but mostly people from 20 to 40 who were healthy and babies and they get it and they die within a few days. And Helen Howard Lemel lifts her face to God and she says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I pray that today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, as we remember the broken body of Jesus as we remember the blood poured out to forgive your sins and mine I pray that that will help us 